Am I starting this? Sure, let's... All right. Uh, welcome to Writing the Nerds. I am Kegger. With me, as always, is... Uh, the Ginger, Cody. It's good to be back. We've been... It's been a week, week and a half? Roundabout. Something like that. Dropped to episode two. Hopefully people are listening. We know for a fact they're not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about Star Wars, which you'd figure would... Kind of get you a little bit more of a bump, but but at the same time, I I could also understand if people just want a break from that too. True, true. We did. We just just finished up all the Star Wars hoopla with with Episode Nine. We're not actually looking at another Star Wars uh, even movie until yeah twenty three, twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Something like that. Uh, yeah. But I'm okay with just the Mandalorian for right now. Yeah, I'll take that too. You know, like I said last week, it's it's so good we don't deserve it. So instead of going with something more widespread, we thought this week we would uh, cater to the two or three people who listened last time and go with something incredibly niche that has a cult following these days. And, and this week will be Event Horizon. Yeah, they. Uh, well, I, I mean, a fitting way to describe that is Hellraiser in space. Also I, seen The Shining in Space. Yes, The Shining in Space. Um, uh, House on Haunted Hill in Space. Yeah, it had a, it had a lot of things it was trying to do. Yeah, the, uh, I don't know, have you seen The Haunting of Hill House? No, that I need to. I Give need that to. a shot because in it, the house itself tries to like separate and like isolate and then it gets them. Oh, that's pretty cool. So it kind of that thinking about this and how we were going to do this this time kind of made me think of that because it does very much isolate the, the sh- crew. It really the does. does isolate the crew to get them. That's, when, that's the way they get them. So. And this movie, I, I could understand why it has such a cult following that it does. It was one of those movies that went through really a really just shitty production schedule like the studio. A lot of studio meddling. Yeah, they jumped in a lot. And to a certain degree, I can understand some of it, which we'll get into a little later. Um, but a lot of it, if honestly, if you don't want to deal with the subject matter the way you're taking it, then really don't fund the movie at that point. Right. Like sometimes you need the studio to rein you back. You know, sometimes you just have such a fantastic idea that you need to be grounded. Be like, yo, hmm. people aren't going to be able to follow this. You need to relate it, make it relatable. Sometimes the studio does that. Most of the time, the studio is just looking at money. Yeah. Um, and they did. I think you were the one that said that they pushed production because of what the Titanic. Yes. So they so, were just trying to fill a void. Yeah. So this movie came out in what 1997. 97. Um, and Titanic suffered a massive delay at this time. Came out in and, August. So yeah. And. Paramount was like, we kind of don't have anything to really fill its slot. Um, Let's rush this. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was, you know, uh, Paul Anderson, who was coming off of Mortal Kombat, really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, huge success there. That was great. Uh, yeah. To this day, still one of the best video game movies ever. Yeah. The original Mortal Kombat. Annihilation was just a mm, yeah, god-awful clusterfuck. But... Uh, I mean, Paul and W.S. Anderson, he also did the Resident Evils, another video game franchise. And he's actually doing Monster Hunter. 
Really? Yep. Mila- I knew they were doing a Monster uh, Hunter, but I didn't know he was attached to it. Mila Jovovich is in it as well. Of course, they're married. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's one of those, like, he's doing Monster <laughs> Hunter, so he's he's got more coming. Um, I mean, I've, I've watched every single one of those Resident Evil movies, so Paul Anderson has gotten money from me. I know that yeah. for a fact. I've seen most of them in the theaters. So I guess here's the part about, like, Event Horizon is nothing like he tried to build the atmosphere. Yeah. The first half of the movie is great. No, really. yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. That is the first half, the setup. He's setting it up. It's really easy to follow. You kind of you get the, to the, the psychic, psychic, sci-fi, techo, techno babble. But, mm-hmm. you know, most people, if yeah. you don't pay attention to stuff like that, Star Trek, whatever, you can just gloss over it. Because what it's really doing is just setting up for when they get to the ship. Yeah, and it kind of has that tension, too, that almost, I guess it, it's not, well, okay, it kind of almost reminds me of The Thing in a certain way because it's Ooh. that paranoia and tension that builds up, only oh, yeah. they don't have to worry about a shape-shifting creature. They're trying to figure out... What the hell happened yeah, to the ship? Why are we hallucinating all this shit? Why is, it, like, why is it our worst fears that are showing up? I can't remember how long, it was like 14 years, right? Uh, so the Event Horizon was commissioned in 2040 and went on its mission, disappeared right outside of Neptune. And in 2047, it comes back. So seven years. Yeah. Okay. So it disappears for seven years. Only when it comes back, they get like a jumbled. Um, yeah, they get a distress call or some kind of. Yeah. Which the only audio file sounds like a bunch of demonic screaming with some guy speaking in Latin. Yeah, I was going to say that, that's all Latin. Yeah. If so, you want something scary, even in sci-fi world, just put it in Latin. Yeah. That's all you got to do is just make it in Latin because it's a dead language and we all kind of afraid of what we don't know. Yeah. Latin just sounds like you're chanting demonic phrases anyway. Which I kind of find it funny because uh, Sam Neill's character, Dr. Weir, the guy who created the ship and the warp drive, the experimental warp drive. Sam Neill, magnificent bastard. Oh, yeah. Actually, I got to give him that one. I no, think he is a magnificent this, bastard. He really does try to carry this movie. I think that, um, that should just definitely be a segment for us. It's just Magnificent Bastard oh, yeah. segment. And then we've got three now. So we've Hugh, had Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman. John Favreau, yeah. and now Sam Neill. And Sam Neill, Omen, you know, when he's the adult Damien. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so was, he's got it? a lot of horror credits to his name when it comes he to He also this. did a Lovecraft kind of, and I, for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was called now. But he was... Uh, I know what you're talking about, and yeah. I can't think of the name of the movie. It's going to piss me off now because I'm right. not going to be able to remember it. But um, Okay. So, yeah, Sam Neill's character really is, he starts off, he's the scientist. He's the skeptic of anything being able to go wrong that's not explained by science. Yeah. Um, it's his baby, so he's definitely wanting to go out and find out why this ship disappeared for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, actually the doctor, played by Jason Isaacs, Lucius Malfoy, yep. for you guys. Yeah, um, who is the one who's able to decipher the Latin? He's oh yeah, the, that's right. Yeah. He's the one who pops up and you know they're just like, hold on, play that again. And he's like, I think I understand that it's this, but he misinterprets. It's like it liber- he thinks it's like liberate me or yeah, it's free like liberatus. Yeah, liberatus may or something, which means save me. Um, but he finds out later that that's not what it's saying. <laughs> yeah, it, it changes drastically a little later. Yeah, and I, I just, 
which they his character is one of okay so i guess we'll talk about production problems because it really kind of explains why some of these characters have really weird shit that comes out of nowhere for them right so what happened on this movie since they rushed production of it uh they had paul anderson wanted 10 weeks to edit and cut the film which was pretty standard procedure at the time so they move up the schedule, and the shooting takes a little longer than he anticipated. So now he's only got six weeks to cut the film. Mm. And right when he's getting ready to start, he's like, oh, shit, we have to do reshoots, and that's going to take two weeks. So now he's got four weeks to, to cut To edit the film. and cut this film. Yeah. So he, he's trying to get it salvageable. First cut that comes in is two hours and ten minutes, not all of which is greatly acted because they didn't have a whole lot of time to edit it and make it work. Um, the I way mean, editing it, in Hollywood is key. I yeah. Mean, it can make or break a movie. Oh, easily. Um, like we said in the Star Wars, that the original Star Wars, they said that the hero of that whole movie was the editor. Oh, yeah. That that George Lucas is what he wanted would have been unwatchable. Yeah. And the, edi- the editor took matters into his own hands and made what we ended up getting as the yeah, exactly. start of our Star Wars fandom. So it goes to a test screening at this point, two hours and ten minutes. Uh, apparently, it was a lot of substance uh, that the studio did not like and the test audience hated even more. Like, from what I understand, the gore was ramped up to 100. I was thinking uh, it was because of the gore that the audience hated it, but well, Cannibal Holocaust yeah. is one of the goriest things I've ever seen in my life. True. And it came out in the 70s. Oh, yeah. So... This being overly gory, I can't imagine. Well, to a certain degree, like, some of it I kind of get. Because when you find out, like, um, apparently one of the test screening audience members passed out, too. (laughs) That's awesome. And a bunch of the executives who were in attendance were like, oh, shit, we cannot do this. Like, apparently the acting was also a little bad just because of some of the shots that they had to use they just didn't have a whole lot of time to go through the footage to find the right take Hmm. so it wound up you know so they're just like yeah why don't you try and trim this down to an hour and a half Hmm. so he's you know he went back he did it he cut out 40 minutes of the film right and that's i mean it's kind of like um yeah if you think about how much because if you're writing a script each script page is supposed to be one one minute. minute yeah yeah so to cut 40 minutes, that's 40 pages of a script, especially when yeah, you could fit a lot of dialogue on one page. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could fit a lot of character background explanation out of those 40 minutes. And it clearly shows with some of the characters. Well, there's another movie that's famously, uh, uh, famously ridiculed because of its incoherence. And it was because of studio intervention. And that was uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, that movie is so confusing to watch because he had to cut so much of it. It almost didn't make sense. Yeah. Also turned into a cult classic, though. It I did. Mean, Great. I, I've watched it probably more times than I should have. Yeah. Um, it made me love Rob Zombie as a director. Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, I'd like to see Rob Zombie do another like something like this. This would mm-hmm. be amazing. His carnival evil mind. Yeah. Uh, um, but topic we always do this but (laughs) so uh and and when i say it affects some of the characters jason isaac's character and see jason isaac jason isaac is amazing so they they leave a lot of scenes on the cutting room floor that explains some of the characters 
well, just why they're, they are the way they are. Mm. Uh, in fact, it even makes some of the deaths less impactful later. Right. It's um, almost like, oh, it just, they died. Oh, yeah. well, we didn't really know much about them. So, yeah, I guess we can start jumping into the plot because these things will jump up a little later. Yeah. Um, so, of course, they, they go on the ship to the Event Horizon. Um, you know, Lawrence Fishburne's character is... We got, a, the, we got a Morpheus pre-Morpheus. Yeah. Post-Cowboy... Oh, Lord, what was his name? Joe? From... Uh, Cowboy Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. Cowboy Curtis. Post-Cowboy Curtis, pre-Morpheus, he's still the coolest guy in the room. Yep. So, yeah, he's the commander of the ship. He's taken no shit from anybody. His ship is the Lewis and Clark, the yes. rescue vessel. He keeps his crew in line. Uh, they all seem to really respect him, but none of them like Sam Neill's character being there. Right, yeah. it's I don't know what it is about him. Well, let's start it off at the very beginning because, I mean, we start out with Sam Neill having a dream-slash-premonition. He sees... Does he see his own death? No, he sees, he has like a vision of his wife. That's right, that's right. Talking to him, but when she opens her eyes, she has no eyes. Like it's just basically, you know, skull holes. Um, And then he wakes up, but, and is just like, oh shit. Well, that was a bad dream, I'm going to go about my day. So then he wakes up and he shaves uh, in 2047 with a straight razor. Right, like I love how in the in the future, the most the, the some of the things that you would think, oh look, I could just laser this off and whatever. No, yeah. straight razor, straight straight razor, horror movie, straight razor. Somebody's yeah. gonna get nicked. I, I had a few like moments. It is there's always one in every sci-fi movie where I'm just like, really, like this right, is- yeah. There, there's just that one thing you're like, that really. Which okay. Is, yeah. So he does all that. Uh, they go to their first crew meeting, essentially. Um, they cut out a scene that was supposed to be featured earlier in the film of Sam Neill talking with a bunch of his superiors, essentially, about the project mm. and it disappearing what went wrong or trying to figure out. No, I was going to say they don't know what went wrong. It just disappeared. Yeah. So uh, that gets glossed over and truthfully, it probably wasn't needed, but it could have given you a little bit of background to mm. kind of know what to expect. Um, but I mean, it, his whole explanation of how it was supposed to work, you know, yeah. what's the shortest distance between two points? You would think a straight line. No, you fold space and pop yeah. out exactly where you want to come. Yeah, exactly. It's zero. Like, yeah, it's, it's zero. Yeah. It's, uh, it was a pretty cool explanation. It really got down to the very nuts and bolts of what he was trying to accomplish. And one thing I kind of find funny is, I guess we'll get into this a little later, um, is actually the warp drive and the way it works mm-hmm. and what happens kind of resembles a popular uh, it, Warhammer. Warhammer. Yeah. Um, so I think it's Warhammer 40K. Uh, but basically whenever you can travel from one point to another, it opens and rips into another dimension. Yeah. Uh, demons exist in that other dimension and are capable of possessing people. Now, what came or first? And this is a chicken and egg scenario. Did yeah, I think even the Warhammer screen, come out. Or? I think even the screenwriter admitted that it was uh, very similar to that. I gotta because I mean, Event Horizon has influenced pop culture, uh, despite the fact that it was panned, uh, it bombed, 
and has since then become a cult classic. Yeah, I mean, there's even like people prequel. who are just like, is nice. it kind of a prequel to Warhammer 40k? But right. Okay, that's funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they they get to the ship. It's completely derelict. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's a it's, ghost ship basically. Yeah, hanging in the atmosphere of Neptune, there is not a single life form to be found on board. And there was a full crew. Yeah, uh, I can't. I don't think they ever gave an exact crew number. They never gave a number, but there was definitely a full crew because we heard the voices of the the weird signal, or mm. I'm not going to exactly call it a distress signal, but it was definitely sending something out. Yeah, so, yeah, in Warhammer, I guess going back to that, uh, if you go through the dimensional warps without a Geller field, I can't remember what it was called, then the demons or daemons, uh, you know, that A in front of the E. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, then they have the potential to basically possess your ship, possess you, you know, other crew and everything. Like, they can essentially come on board without that Geller field. Well, it's like we are also talking about how you had lined up the events of Doom oh, with yeah. this, and this kind of all worked out, like, where it could totally be a doom It, it could story. almost be, yeah, like a follow-up to Doom, essentially. Because um, Doom is like in the early 2020s. Yeah. Or something to that effect um, from the timeline I looked up today. but And it's funny, where is that technology now? We're in 2020. Oh, <laughs> we were supposed to have a moon base on Mars according to this movie. Right? Uh, Sorry, yeah, not, I mean, a moon, not a moon base. A like base that, on so. Mars. Yeah, a, a base on the moon and then mining operations on Mars by this point. And we just have a, robot, a couple robots on Mars right now. Yep. And a few robots that can do backflips in Japan. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're lagging a little bit. Yeah. Eh. Damn television. Right? <laughs> Say, enjoy too much watching this stuff instead of trying to make it. Um, so, yeah, they find the ship. It's derelict. They go. They um, One of their crew members discovers the engineering core, the warp drive. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character is highly intrigued by the fact that the ship has explosives running along its main corridor because the, in a bit of foreshadowing, uh, apparently you can blow up the middle section of the ship and the hull will detach and become a lifeboat so you can use it as like an escape pod essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember that. And it separates from the warp core. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about it coming with you. Uh, the crew member that goes into the warp core, they kind of find out this thing has a mind of its own. It activates. Yeah. And in pure sci-fi fashion of being the... Very how. Yeah, I say being the first idiot to look at something and want to touch it. <laughs> Can't not touch. The thing lines up and it opens essentially almost like this black-looking liquid that covers the core. Mm-hmm. And he touches it and then he sticks his hand through it and something grabs him. And he's like, oh, shit, I can't get my hand out. And then it pulls him through and spits him back out a little later. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he goes completely catatonic. Lawrence Fishburne is like, well, I this is fucking weird. Can you explain this? Sam Neill's like, no, I shouldn't be able to work this way. You know, obviously your first clue. Of something, something else is amiss, yeah. Yeah, it's just like it shouldn't be able to work this way. The power to the ship wasn't even running. Uh, someone who checks the hull out finds a dead body and blood all over the place that almost kind of looks like a weird mossy fungus actually from the effect they use yeah. on it but now this play this thing suffered heavily 
on the effects side because of yeah uh, budget limitations yeah budget limitations they got some of their budget pulled and being 1997 it is 1997 um, um, it, it uh, a lot of people complain that it looks unfinished it kind of does it really um, does there are definitely unfinished effects in it um, where they had to kind of dumb it down to its basis state and still try to make it look good yeah um, so they're trying to figure out when the guy gets spit back out, like what the hell happened to him. Yeah. Because for one, they don't believe the person who saved him. Well, they don't. Well, they know he saw something, but they don't completely believe that's what happened. Sam Neill's able to explain it away as a gravitational like, thingamajig. <laughs> yeah, like a gravitational warp that can make you hallucinate things. So you know, well, that's what happened. It folded. You hallucinated. He saw something that probably fucked with him, and that's why he's basically comatose lying on a table. And then another thing about this is a lot of the sci-fi aspects are just to set up the horror aspects. Yeah. Just kind of, they mention them and then they don't really mention it again because now we're in a whole different movie. Yeah, because now you're getting to that point too where Sam Neill's the scientist, he's the skeptic. He is the guy who's like, well, this shouldn't be able to happen. Like, I designed this. The science is sound. I know what's happening. But everyone's like, okay, well, where did the ship go? Right. Well, I don't know. Well, you don't know. Well, that's what we're get... here to find out. Yeah, you know? it's like, how did it get back? I don't know. Where There are questions. Like, <laughs> why is this thing working now? I don't know. Well, you're the scientist. Like, why, like there, there's clearly some logic behind questioning the science. But he's not wanting to hear it. But then you have the other members of the crew who seem more rational and being like, something's not fucking right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it should be interesting. The one who questions him the most is the one who actually winds, he has a cross that he wears and sometimes, like, clutches in his teeth. Yeah, uh, was on that... A little, um, on a little necklace. It was um, Alfred's character. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say uh, Sean... Uh, Pertwee. Pertwee. Yeah. yeah, so he's the one who questions it at one point, even... You know, going into that whole hubris of man kind of thing of, you know, you fucked around with physics and didn't know what you were doing. Now we're here. Yeah. Um, so they're they're kind of starting to figure out that something's amiss. They don't know what's going on yet. Uh, the person who gets a first dosage of it is the lady who's watching the comatose guy. Well, mm -hmm. I guess she gets the second dose. He gets the first. He's been to the hell dimension. And he ain't well, we don't really know that yet. We don't know oh, where yeah. he's been. Yeah, he's um, just not talking. We just know something weird's happened. Yeah, so she's watching him, and she gets this vision of her son being on the ship that has really vicious leg wounds and stuff. Instead, like he's something horrible's happened to him. In uh, part of the, one of the cutscenes, it was supposed to be his legs and leg wounds were covered in maggots that were like crawling around. Oh, that would have been amazing. Yeah, they cut that. Um, That's unfortunate. Yeah. So, I would like to see if, if, like, if Paul Anderson, at least if, if they do do a series. Yeah, because they. I'd like to see Anderson at least produce. Yeah, they announced the series, so I'm hoping it goes somewhere. Um, Amazon and uh, what did I say earlier? Amazon and Paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're they'd announced that they're exploring the possibility of a series. So I mean, we're not even. We're just at the discussion phase of that. Yeah, so now she kind of gets an idea that something's going on, but she thinks she's crazy. 
Yeah. Sam, Sam Neill's character is kind of hearing shit. He's hearing things. It's not really connecting with him yet, but he's hearing things. And Sam Neill's character progression throughout this movie is amazing because you've got the very optimistic yeah. scientist who's trying to create this this light speed yeah. drive, this, you know, something to travel faster than light speed. So he wants to go f- see what happened to his ship, to his drive. And then as we get there, he starts getting crazy. He starts going a little crazy. You get this mad scientist, crazy guy vibe. Yeah. And it's, but it's, he does it because it's Sam Neill and he's a magnificent bastard. He does it so well. Oh yeah. He's trying to, he's trying to let the logical part of his brain completely filter out any idea that something supernatural could happen. Yes. Yeah, supernatural unknown. Yeah. Even though he knows this thing has gone to places no one has ever seen and no one can tell them about. So they also discover the ship's log during this time mm-hmm. on just a regular CD, which is also, yeah, that's yeah, that's, uh, also that really kind of doesn't hold water anymore, you know. Yeah, because now we've got these little chips, you know, little drives that you just plug <laughs> into anything. And so, uh, uh, during this time, the Doctor character, Jason Isaac's character, also reveals that he finally translated the Latin message and that he was wrong. I was actually just looking at that part right here, yeah. and the translation is this, and it's a uh, liberate. To, uh, I'm not good with Latin, but uh, to Tomet Ex Infernus, which translates to save yourself from hell. Yeah. And uh, that's around the same time they're trying to decipher the crew log, which is a video. Oh, yeah. Which gets into part of the reason why a lot of the gore was cut, because this particular crew message was called the Orgy of Blood. Um, I still would how love it's referred to, have seen to the original. Yeah, well, apparently for that, they hired... Um, for some of the images... They of, hired porn stars, basically. Yeah, they? they hired porn stars to simulate some of it a little more graphically, that which was more the rape and sex Torture, portions. Torture, yeah. yeah. Um, they also hired uh, amputees and stuff for some of the other effects for nice. people to, like, who were supposed Did to have been like, yeah, dissected and whatnot. Um, I mean, th- this crew message features the, the worst of the worst, but... Before that, they get into that. Um, the one guy who was comatose wakes up. Oh yeah, and yeah. manages to walk himself to an airlock. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, I couldn't remember what he did. I was like, isn't he the guy that goes to the airlock? Yeah, talking about the darkness within him that's coming. Like he knows something is coming. He the darkness within him. It showed him things. The darkness inside of him. And he's in this complete trance and is ready to airlock himself. Yeah, he's uh, he don't he's he don't want to be a part of this world no more. You know this this universe. Yeah, until uh, the alarm goes off and it snaps him out of it, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh shit, I don't want to die after all." Uh, he gets saved at the last set. Well, second. not totally. even the last second, I guess. He really does go out the airlock, but Lawrence Fishburne's character like essentially dives from space and tackles him back into the ship. Yeah. Um, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. And now he's out for the rest of the movie. He's he's in a cryopod. He's going to survive. Um, you know. Which was, like, had this movie done better, we could have definitely had more yeah. Event Horizon. Oh, definitely. Um, Hell, we could have even had Sam Neill come back, you know, oh, he supernaturally. Can... Yeah. I mean, he... So... Now everybody is definitely aware that something is... Very amiss. Oh, yeah. Like, something's fucked up. Not only that, when the Event Horizon activated the first time, 
uh, and sent out a gravitational pulse, it actually flung part of the event horizon into the Lewis and Clark and damaged it. And they don't have, uh, they only have enough oxygen to last them for 20 hours, so they have to fix the ship and get the hell out, or basically die on the event horizon. Well, they also got the lifeboat yeah. thing. Yeah, which they... Which comes into play later. Yeah, so... <laughs> Anytime they set something up in, like, a horror movie like that, that is foreshadowing. Oh, look, there you can explode the middle portion and use this as a lifeboat. That's going to be important later. Yeah, so they start to go a little nuts. Um, you know, gradually more and more things start happening. Uh, oddly enough, Jolie Richardson's character, Stark, she never gets a hallucination. She doesn't, does she? No. That's weird. One of the cut scenes even, um, actually, one of the, there's another crew member that doesn't either. He's one of the only other survivors. It's uh, Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recall him ever getting one. Hmm. Now, everything else bad happens to him. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. he gets flung out into space. He manages to come back. Like, he survives. Uh, well, He's the one that went comatose, yeah? No. The, that character's name was Justin. He's out for the rest of the movie, but he does survive. Yeah, he does. Uh, this, although, I'm trying to think because you watched it. I was supposed to, and I didn't. So that's probably why it sounds like I really don't know what I'm talking about. I've seen the movie several times. It's just been a minute. Um, I love the movie. I watch it with my dad. My dad actually wanted to be here for this. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't like get him to commit. Um, but. I keep trying to think if uh, Fishburne, Lawrence Fishburne, survives. He doesn't, does he? No. Okay. Because uh, I was going to make the reference of the black guy surviving a horror now, movie. If I but recall correctly, uh, they go to fix because they think there's a short in the um, in the engineering bay that's causing the warp drive to fire off every now and then. Yeah. And cause some power surges to the ship. And that's when Sam Neill has another one of his hallucinations where, like, the corridor he's crawling through goes dark, but he can hear his wife's voice. Yeah, he's very... He calls back to his wife quite a bit. It yeah. makes me kind of half wonder uh, if she wasn't on the ship. Yeah, she she died um, before the events of the movie. She killed herself. Okay, that's well, right, that's right. And it was his guilt of him being gone so much and not being there for her that really carried his fear of having to face her, essentially, uh, into it. Lawrence Fishburne has a hallucination around the same time, which is a crewmate that he has served with on another ship that got burned to death. I remember that, yeah. 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 Um, who shows up and, you know, kind of haunts him visually. Um, the doctor, one of his scenes, uh, Jason Isaac's scenes, got cut when the crew was talking about their fears. Mm-hmm. Like, his was, he has this scar that runs basically from his belly button to his like collarbone essentially like it's just this huge scar where he got cut open before uh, and his fear he mentions is being like dissected alive essentially um, oh yeah okay I, I remember that scene well that scene got cut that well, was a who got dissected no, no, he, he definitely got killed that way in the movie <laughs> yeah that's what I thought yeah you know, he, he got killed that way um, he's the one hanging right yeah on the hooks and stuff. Yeah, that kinda, was such a very visual like. Kind of reminded me of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, very much the, so. Or the cell. Yeah, you ever seen, yeah, yeah, very much the cell hanging there. He's got his so opening cavity cavity opened, I guess. Now 
the, the movie starts to go a little off the rails here because you can tell they're playing for time. So yeah, the now rest we're of it, to, now we're starting to get our time crunch yeah. on and studio the, the Lewis and Clark gets fixed. We're Sam Neill's character is not wanting to leave the ship behind. No, he's no. he's gone full bat shit at this point. The ship has got its hooks into him. Yeah, and he is he has completely flipped. Yeah. The ship is his baby. Lawrence Fishburne orders him back to the ship, and this is like the corniest scene in the movie. But he's just like, we're going home. And then Sam Neill, the corridor is mostly dark. The light's just on his face, and he goes, oh, but I am home. Oh, yeah. And then he steps off into the shadow. Oh, yeah, just kind of like that yeah. Homer Simpson into the bush thing where he just kind of backs up and you can't see him no more. Yeah. It's like, and I totally see You're still standing right there. And then he basically, you know, like, I shouldn't. I shouldn't put it this way because it's not comedic, but he kind of turns into the doctor from Biodome. You don't see him yeah. for a while. He just kind of slinks off into the darkness, and you know we're left to try and see everybody scrambling to get back to the Lewis and Clark. At that point, being Lawrence Fishburne, being the captain, bye. Bye, Felicia. He wants right. to stay. I'm leaving his oh, ass. Yeah. If they want him, they can come back and get him. He's ordering everybody to get back to the ship and they're gathering up extra oxygen, things like that that they can use to get back home. Okay. That's fine. This is where I believe the second crewmate death or wait, is, is she might be the, no. Cause I get the one, I'm the one girl about, who sees her son. Yeah. This is who follows him around. Next. So basically she knows by now that her son's a hallucination. This part bugs me. Um, she sees him run off in one of the corridors by the warp core, and she sets down all the oxygen tanks and stuff she's carrying and starts to run after him. She chases him through these corridors because the ship is... Now, is her son dead? Very gothic-looking and maze-like. Right? Even really, though it's a straight <laughs> really a lot of times. Really good atmosphere, I gotta say. Mm. It's very gothic, very cool. Um, it's very much a mansion, a haunted mansion. And the warp core itself does look kind of oh, satanic. Yeah. Oh, God, it looks so good, though. Yeah, so she chases him through this corridor until finally he, her son, apparition, whatever you want to call it, turns around and looks at her, and she just gets this smile on her face, and you can clearly see there's a gap that she's going to fall through, and she has a vision of her own death before she starts chasing him. Right. So she smiles at him and takes that step only to realize, oh, shit, there's nothing here, and just falls to her death. Right around the same time that Sam Neill pops back into the picture. Right. Like he's, yeah, he just yeah. shows up. First death, uh, second death. Yeah. So she dies and he walks in like 30 seconds after and he just goes, oh no, and says her name. I can't remember what her name is. Uh, I, I don't think it matters. Really. Um, and he goes over to her body before all of a sudden he hears his wife again. Now we're completely gone. Oh, right? yeah. Like, so. He has that moment where his wife starts talking to him, and she opens her eyes. Of course, there's no eyes there. He relives her suicide, um, where she slits her wrist in a bathtub. And then uh, she, when she opens her eyes, she says, I'll show you everything. And all of a sudden, like, she has his head in her hands, but she presses into his eyes. But then you cut back out of the hallucination, and he's clawing his own eyes out. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, that's an amazing scene. Yeah, I, I really liked it. And um, See, I'm a big horror fan, and I mm. I, I think my dad, if for the same... Like, we're both sci-fi nerds, but we both love horror movies. Mm. Um, 
And I am known to, you know, giggle hysterically when I go to a horror movie in the theaters when things oh, yeah. are happening, you know. <clears throat> I think it's hilarious. Some of it is. Because some of it very much is. Like, I love when people jump off a tile skyscraper. If you watch, it's almost like a bus splatter on a windshield when they hit the ground. Yeah. It's just, you know. Um, but that Sam Neill clawing his eyes out is just visceral. Yeah. And it just kind of makes you uncomfortable. Um, but that's like that with anything. I watched the Green Inferno uh, probably oh. too many times. And yeah. that priestess claws that dude's eye out and yeah. eats it. And it's just it just makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, there's something about ripping your own eyes out that just... Well, that goes back to part of the uh, crew, the last log the crew left, the, the original crew of the Event Horizon. Um, so you see a bunch of sex and murder. Basically, one guy's pulling his own guts out through his mouth. Oh, yeah. Or, that's an amazing scene. I don't know. It's kind of unclear if he was pulling his own or if somebody was reaching into his mouth and like going down his throat. Maybe. I don't that. know. Either way, it doesn't matter. That dude did not have a happy ending. Um, no, no. And the final shot of it is one guy who has clearly clawed his own eyes out but is holding them in his hands. Yes, staring I remember at the, that. Yeah, that staring at the camera who's like, I can't remember what he says. It might have been that same Latin phrase, save yourself from hell. Um, so they go through that. And... Yeah, the, so I guess we kind of skipped that a little bit, but it's all kind of happening around the same time. Uh, Sam Neill's losing his eyes at this point. Now he's fully off the rails. Oh, yeah, uh, his descent into madness is complete. Yeah. The ship has full control over him, um, and now he is yeah. basically the pariah, the, the, the right. priest of the ship. Um, so, yeah, now... We have that moment where he starts to go on his spree. Um, oh, yeah. The ship is fully in control. He realizes the ship is alive. Whatever it, whatever it brought back, made it alive. Yes. And like, I was looking at that warp core. Uh, yeah, that is very, mm. very visual and very kind of scary looking. Yeah, like even um, the room it's in has like spikes on the walls. Right. And shit. It, it's almost like Pinhead's head. Actually, yeah. It kind of reminds me, like, looking at it, I'm like, Jesus, you know. And I, we have made the, the, the Hellraiser in space comment. Uh, you do expect Pinhead to pop up at any moment. You really do. I mean, even that warp core, it's it's a sphere, but you could be like, if they would have made it a cube. I'd or been, even a pyramid. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, just that, that puzzle thing you have to solve to get the Cenobites <laughs> right. to come after you anyway. Um, yeah. The Rubik's Cube from Hell, you know? So... Yeah, so at that point, this is when, uh, what was it, the guy who, uh, Pert- Pertwee's character who carries the cross around yeah. stuff, he's the next to go. Yes, uh, yes. And it was, he's on the Lewis and Clark, he's getting everything ready for their departure voyage. The other guy, Cooper, is on the wing trying to, you know, make a last few second patches. Yeah. Make sure they're going to be just fine. Um, when all of a sudden, Lawrence Fishburne's like, hey... Isn't it kind of weird that one of the explosives is missing from this corridor? You know, the one that's supposed to detach the front section from the back? And then he's like, um, he gets uh, the message from Pertwee's character. He's just like, hey, I just saw Weir leaving the ship. And then he puts two and two together. Like, oh shit, he's going to try and, you need to get off there. Everybody needs to come back onto the event horizon. Like, get the fuck over here immediately. Oh yeah. Uh, well, it's too late for that. By the time he finds the explosive, it only has five seconds left. Lewis and Clark is gone. Yeah. 
Uh, and poor Cooper at this point gets blasted off into space. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's assuming he's dead, but they have a uh, somewhat humorous scene of him going, "Why does this kind of shit always happen to me?" You know, right? Yeah. And when he finally ejects his oxygen uh, tank to fling himself back toward the ship, which now we get to the point where Lawrence Fishburne is trying to be like, uh, "We're on the loose. Everybody, get ready because shit's about to get real." Right now, we're hitting our <clears throat> Act Three. Now we're, you know, so shit's serious now. The first guy he tells is the doctor, Jason Isaac's character, DJ. <clears throat> and he's like, you need to be aware, like, we need to, if you find Weir, take him out. And he's like, don't worry, Weir won't stand a chance. Now, there's already a weird part in this movie where Jason Isaac's character subdues somebody who's trying to fight with the doctor, and he holds a scalpel to his neck like he's gonna murder him. Yeah. I and everyone's that. like, you okay, Doc? There's clearly a backstory that got left out. Right, Jason Isaacs. I mean, he plays amazing characters like that anyway. Yeah. Um, what was it? He was in that uh, Mel Gibson vehicle. Uh, the Patriot? Yes. Yeah. Where you just absolutely hated him. Well, I could not wait to see him get his at the end of that movie. Even Star Trek Discovery. I have uh, not seen Discovery yet. Yeah, his character has a pretty cool storyline. I gotta say, um, I didn't realize Jason Isaacs was on that. Yeah, he was a he's a Starfleet captain. Oh, yeah. that makes sense actually. Yep. Uh, and then of course you know he's Lucius Malfoy, and one of the greatest scenes between Lucius and Harry is at the end of the Chamber of Secrets, where Harry's figured out that Lucius was the one that gave Jenny the diary. Yep. A lot <clears throat> of that was ad libbed between the two of them. That's pretty good. The you know we're just lucky that Harry Potter was here to save everyone. Mm. You know he's like say I can't remember exactly how the line goes. Let's just hope he will be next time. And Harry goes, I will be. Yeah. That all of that was ad lib. None of it's in the book. None of it. It was all just Jason Isaac wanted to see what he could get out of Daniel Radcliffe in that moment, and it just worked. So Jason Isaacs is amazing. Yeah, I and unfortunately, as soon as he gets the message. That's when he turns around and Weir is right, right behind him. Yep. Picks him up with some kind of Herculean super strength and he can clearly see out of the eyes he no longer has. Yep. Which also leads to a really weird line later now that I think about it. Um, I wonder which line. Oh yeah, you, we're going to get to it here in a second. Because I, as soon as I saw it, I laughed. Like as soon as I heard it, I laughed. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's very clear what they were going for. Um, so, yeah. And he kills him. He takes run, the he, scalpel. Yeah, he slams him down on a surgical table and runs that scalpel right down the scar he has on his chest. Yep, and it cuts him, him wide open, hangs him from hooks on the ceiling, and drops his guts on the table. Yep, I remember that. that Which was a he, very yeah, you only see the aftermath, and the only thing Lawrence Fishburne can hear is gurgles. So yeah. he knows everything's gone bad. Yeah, uh, and now he's looking for Stark. She's the only one that we know is left alive. Aside from Cooper, who's on his way back to the ship from his fantastic voyage. Right, his, his gravity in reverse. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so, they finally find each other. Like, Stark's been knocked unconscious on the bridge. Mm-hmm. When all of a sudden, Sam Neill, actually kind of looking like Emperor Palpatine a little bit. A little bit. I was kind of thinking that myself. Episode 9 of Star Wars, turning around in that chair. and <laughs> Very... <laughs> Very villain-esque. The turning, yeah. the slow turn of the chair is so just... His face is horrifically scarred up. Oh, yeah. Uh, his eyes are stapled shut now. 
Or, well, his eye holes, where they used to be, are stapled shut. I had a picture pulled up and of him. Now, nope. this is where the line comes in. Lawrence Fishburne's not, you know, I guess trying to buy time or trying to figure out what to do here. Now that he's woken Stark up and they have two of them to take him on, turns into, what happened to your eyes? And he goes, where we're going... We don't need eyes where we're going. Okay, so... <laughs> yeah, it's, I can see what you're saying see, about that, that line. Because I even started to fuck it up where, where we're going, we don't need, need eyes. Ro- yeah, like, right. yeah. Where we're going, we don't need roads. You know? <laughs> it's very... Yeah. Like, the, yeah, I could see where they were going with it, but it was totally pulled from yeah. Back to the Future. And saying they kicked the warp cord of 1.21 gigawatts right, and the rest then. is history. 1.21 uh, gigawatts! So, I laughed. Like, legitimately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I know, I don't think it's what they're going for, but I'll be damned if it didn't work. Um, And then again, it's Sam Neill delivering the line. Yeah. So, I mean. Oh, no, he sells it. Oh, yeah. Sam Neill can sell it. But uh, that's when Cooper finally makes it back to the ship whenever uh, they, they try and attack you know, we're Sam Neill's character. He he's not having it. He subdues him pretty easily because he's got super Satan strength at this point. Super I Satan, super demon. Yeah, like he's possessed. The ship has him. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I'll give you part of the powers cosmic. You do whatever you want. Right. You know, very yeah. Galactus and Herald of Galactus blood. So. Um, yeah. So he. Uh, this is when Cooper makes it back to the ship, though, and splatters against the windshield in the hull. Like, he, you know, he's not dead, but he's like, I made it, guys. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, it's kind of that tension breaker. You've yeah. got this tension that's building and building and building, and then you need something to, to snap you out of it. So, splat, there he is. Yeah. I made it. Which causes Sam Neill's character now to point the gun he was pointing at Lawrence Fishburne toward that and shoot. So now he punches a hole. <laughs> In the and, ship. Yeah, which causes massive decompression, which pulls him out. His strength is not... Oddly enough, his Herculean strength he uses to lift people up by their neck and manhandle them no problem can't save him from getting sucked out, even though everyone else is in the same room. They're fine. Yeah, right. Like, you know, let's look over that one, which I didn't care about at that point. You know, they save Stark, they save Miller, and then Cooper makes it back in through an airlock. Yeah. So he survives two... Horrific brushes with death, one of which almost got him harpooned. Right. Um, And at this point, like, horror movie logic dictates we have two guys, one girl left. Justin's technically comatose. He doesn't count. Yeah, what is it there? You're allowed to have extra survivors so long as they're not conscious. Right. You're, You're allowed to have extra survivors so long as they're not conscious. You're allowed to have one male survivor. And one female. Yes, and one female, although male is optional. Yes. You have to have the female survivor, especially in horror movie logic of the 90s. Yes. Very much Scream, the the rules of Scream kind of thing. However, you you realize at this point, though, that the only two characters, two out of three characters have not had any weird hallucinations at this point. Stark and and Cooper. Cooper. So you're like, okay, probably they're going to make it. Mm -hmm. Lawrence Fishburne. No. He's been having hallucinations. Yeah, he's like, okay, I'm going to go take care of this. We're going to blow the ship apart. I'll be back, like, but close this door behind me. So they do. At this point, Cooper has earned his 
his right to sit out. Right. He, he, he gets his time out. He gets to be on the bench and just relax, sort of. So uh, Fishburne rigs up the rest of the explosives and gets cornered by his uh, crispy friend from the beginning. Oh, yeah, the, the from the other ship. Yeah, who goes complete like El Diablo and shoots fire at him, which causes him to run into the warp core. Right, because, like, there's so many weird, like, sci-fi things, and then at the same time, just out of nowhere, it feels like you have a supernatural power. Right, yeah, it kind of comes out of, you know, out of that. But then he goes into the warp core room, but he still has the detonator with mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I remember So that. now he knows he's fucked. The warp core, Sam Neill tried to activate it. It's on a countdown timer. It has, like, five minutes left. And uh, all of a sudden, in the warp core room, instead of Mr. Crispy coming back at him, it's uh, Sam Neill. It's weird, who yeah. got ejected into space, and he's he has his eyes back now. And, and he's, he's like, red. Covered in, like, these yeah. scar, rune, cut, he, glyph things. If he would have had pins sticking out of his head and been He would have totally been pinhead. Yes. Yeah, it was definitely a, a throwback to pinhead. And he has that moment where he's like, by the way, the ship is alive. It won't let me die. I told you it won't let any of us go. Come along for the ride. Right. And so good. And they, <laughs> they start to, you know, they start to fight. Lawrence Fishburne's just basically trying to hold his own against a guy who has... The supernatural of, powers. Yeah, the strength of Hercules, supernatural hell powers. Um, whenever Sam Neill finally was just like, no, let me show you what's going to happen. Let me show you everything that I've been able to see. This dimension that this play, that this ship went to is pure chaos. It is evil. It is great. So he grabs his head, and you see all these flashes on screen of the torture that the crew... Oh, yeah, it's so gothic. Yeah. It's so uh, Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah. Kind of design of hell. People who've got, like, spikes driven through their throat, like... Oh, yeah, they got the hooks in them and... Faces wrapped in barbed wire that's digging in the... Oh, yeah, it's just... Uh, like, I had a picture pulled up just because I wanted to see it. Essentially again. being, like, vivisected. Like, it's, it's going through the gamut of things you would really not want to happen to you. Except it's happening in brief flashes, so if you want to pause frame by frame, that's the only way you're going to get anything out of it. Like, here we got one. Uh, I can see one. Like, the post, there's, like, a spike that one's yeah. head's just drilled on, and he looks like he's wrapped in barbed wire. Yeah. And then uh got this chick here. She's, oh, God, she, it's just. Yeah, people hanging on hooks, like, everything. And the picture is, doesn't even do it justice. Like, no. Like. I do remember pausing through this scene to see what I could see, and it is very Hieronymus Bosch. The, um, the visuals are terrifying, but here's part of the problem is they go by so fast that you can't they, really... The reason they did that, though, right. was because of budgeting. And and the gore. And, and they, they had to cut it, and it yeah. was so, so chopped. But the thing is, like, if you're... So the script was changed originally. It's supposed to be these tentacled aliens, essentially, that was causing all this mayhem on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Anderson gets on. He's like, I'm kind of really fascinated with hell right now, so let's play around with that. So they do it. And he never really gets out of that fascination. Yeah, and part of the problem is, is like, and I don't think the studio realized this, but if you're really going to dive into hell, like if you're going to have a depiction of hell, it needs to be one of the most viscerally horrifying things you can think of. At least in my opinion. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. Um, if you're Hieronymus, some, there's a reason why 
the church hooked onto the paintings of Hieronymus Bosch is because it's very visceral. Yeah. It's very, you know, it leaves an impression. It's like you see it and you don't forget it because it just kind of sears itself on your brain. Yeah, like you you need to realize <laughs> that Excuse these me. people are going through because it's kind of implied that the crew of the Event Horizon, they're not dead. They're still being tortured in this other dimension. Oh, yeah. Like the crew members that have died on the Event Horizon, even in the film, are probably still being tortured. Like, they're dead, but the ship has not let them go. Oh, no. It, it can re-manifest Sam Neill. It's got these other guys. It's not letting them go. They're fucking done. I actually have a little caveat, especially when we're talking about hell, is uh, my sister, who mm. I just found mm. in, uh, a week ago, a week and a day ago, we've been talking, and uh, we she actually brought this up to me, but I just picked up Dante's Inferno. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. read it the before. Divine comedy. Um, I've read it. And I've only ever read The Inferno. I've not read uh, the other two, Purgatory and Heaven, whatever. Yeah. The Ascent. And, uh, the Inferno is the only one that's ever fascinated me. Purgatory, maybe. Heaven, yeah, whatever. Yeah, uh, was surprisingly well thought out. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I, I'm gonna, I don't want to get too far off, but she said that she would like Peter Jackson and Guillermo del Toro to do the oh, Inferno. I would. And that would be so fucking amazing. I'd watch the hell out of that. I would watch that. I'd probably watch that religiously. Yeah, honestly. Because that would be... Because Del Toro loves... Well, he's... Uh, practical... And that's the thing, yeah. Practical, practical effects. Uh, effects. And I think... And puppetry. And Jackson has that grandiose scale and scope that he can see. Mm. To, for the two of them to collaborate on that, oh my god. See, I could really see that because I think part of the thing that made the hell scenes in Event Horizon so, like the torture scenes, so it was like it was practical effects. Yeah. And because, and he, like I said, he hired amputees, he hired, you know, porn, porn stars, stars basically to make the everything look as graphic as it could, which is probably why it would not have had a problem earning an NC-17. No. And um, see, back in the day, I mean... I think it was the 80s that movies were still getting the X rating, even though they weren't sexual. Yeah. Um, and then they stopped that so. for NC-17. And now if you get NC-17, it's almost just Because I can still death. remember one of the flashes briefly has this body. And I, I think it's implied to be the doctor's body. Uh, yeah. Hell, I know what you're talking it's about, where it's like, hanging there. Hanging out there, like chains wrapped around it, but still like basically diced up and... Has a bunch of stuff like basically hanging out yeah. of the bot. Like it's just. A know, I had a picture of it. Like I had a, a graphic of it for a second. That stands out to me because it's one of those things where it's just like, if if I knew that's what was coming at me, because Lawrence Fishburne does now. Like these these images are being put in his head, and it, Sam Neill's basically telling him, "By the way, this is what's going to happen to you." Right. Like at that point, yeah, you bet your ass. I'm talking about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's who that's supposed to be. So one of the deleted scenes even featured like um, one guy getting his legs crushed by steel beams or whatever and trying to crawl away and pieces of his leg just keep like falling oh. apart and falling off ways, crawling off. Like, yeah, like they. I like those movies. I like the, the horror movies where you're viscerally uncomfortable. Like, yeah. And the thing is, like, this is supposed to be hell, which, you know. Even if you're not Christian, you know what the idea behind it is. It's I mean, eternal. everybody's raised, you know. Yeah, it's eternal suffering, and it's, 
you know. Christianity won. And if you want any more proof of that, what year is it? Yeah. A.D. That's yep. all you got to say. So, I mean, everybody knows hell, hellscape. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's the, it's that concept of, not of that eternal punishment. Because, you know, that's always the biggest threat. Because, like, if you ever get punished in life, even if it's temporary, it sucks. So yeah. you can only imagine what non-stop yeah oh yeah and that that to me is what's supposed to make a movie like this as horrifying as it is but if you dumb it down and dilute it you lose that effect yeah so 40 minutes on the cutting room floor exactly yeah um had they there was probably a good reason they needed it cut um we've not seen the original yeah. cut. From what I understand, the way the shots and everything were taken, some of the acting was really lousy because, well, you you do multiple takes for a reason. Yeah, you, you know, trying to get the best one. Yeah. You pick the best one. And with four weeks of editing, cutting time, it just wasn't going to happen. Exactly. Um, so they, I mean, they saved what they could and it turned out to work out. Even though it didn't immediately. It, <laughs> it picked up the cult following. Yeah. Yeah, it, it actually is definitely a cult picture. If I remember correctly, it made its money back on DVD. It did. It absolutely did. Yeah. Um, I think it only made, I think it was uh, budgeted for $60 million and then in box office only made like 20 Something like that. Um, and then made all of its money back on the DVD release. So, yeah, so a... And VHS, because that is very much still a thing. Mm. At the time, VHS. Right. So, yeah, you could, it had its home release is what it made its money on. So, yeah, I mean, it had all these really cool elements. I could see why it became a cult classic. I really can. Oh, yeah. I mean, I first saw the movie when I was like 10 or 11. On, I was like 13, 14. Yeah, on HBO. Like, oh, wow. So, like my, I was not supposed to see it. No. But I've seen, I, I had HBO at, at about that time in my life. And, uh. I probably saw a lot of movies that I shouldn't have seen. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I've got... Well, it's like I accidentally saw The Crying Game when I was, like, seven. I did, too. Yeah. I absolutely saw The Crying Game. And I, I was so confused, I remember. Oh, yeah. I had no idea the well, themes in that movie. Well, nobody ever explained to me what any of that stuff was. And then you watch it one night when you wake up in the middle of the night, turn on, like, HBO or whatever, and you're just like... Oh, shit. Like, well, for one, I'm not going to get in trouble by telling my parents that I didn't go back to bed when I was supposed to. And two, how do I ask them exactly? What the hell is going on with this movie? Yeah. <laughs> Why does that guy look like a girl or girl look like a guy? Yeah. Like and a, as a back 70- then, trans and fluid and all that, that, that wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Like when you're seven, that's a, that's a hard subject to really exactly. jump into. You know, it's kind of um, like a... I do remember about that time. Uh, you remember Oz? Yeah. I remember seeing clips of that and going, there's a lot of dudes like doing it in this. I don't know if I like it. <laughs> yeah, like where you just didn't understand. Right. Because like, that, that came on. Yeah. I can't remember when that aired, but I, yeah. About that time. Basically, yeah. Like, it, so Event Horizon was also another one of those things where I'm like, the fuck. Right. But watching it, you know, I just watched it earlier today just to make sure I had my. And I was totally going to, yeah. and um, I got really just sucked into and involved in Breath of the Wild and realized what time it was. And I was like, oh, yeah. God, I haven't even watched the movie yet. You should never apologize for that. It's Breath of the Wild. But- yeah, it's, it's, I'm it's so engrossed in it. 
it and Pokemon Sword. But but off topic. God, we're off topic. But the uh, yeah, I mean like, but yeah, Event Horizon was one of those like I didn't understand it when I first watched it. Now I go back and pick up on it and like, yes, I can understand the atmosphere. The themes are great. The first half is really setting it up fairly well, mm-hmm. and then it just goes. You like, can start seeing. You almost see. Yeah. When the budget cuts start, you can because see because you've that, got this great setup for yeah. a movie, and then it starts to slowly get production wise worse. Yeah, and all of a sudden, like somebody hits that old speed crank there, and just like, well, we're going at a pretty steady pace, but now we're yeah, we're gonna run straight to the finish. Yeah, we gotta we gotta race to the finish now. Like this thing can go from zero to sixty in three seconds. Let's test it out. Right. Um. Yeah, so, they, I mean, it really starts to run off. But now that they're doing a series... I'm hoping they do it justice. I mean, we'll, well, if they do a series, even if they do just, like, six or eight episodes... Yeah. We would get so much more story, so much more detail. Yeah. And maybe, possibly, even because the hell dimension the Event yeah. Horizon went to. Even, even though they separate the ship back... From the front. Mm-hmm. And they the, use the explosions. The, the explosives. The three survivors escape. Um, the Event Horizon's warp core still goes off. The back end of the ship goes into that black hole that mm-hmm. it creates and goes back to the dimension. Yeah. So, I mean, Sam Neill to- or Dr. Weir could totally be alive in there. Yeah. Um, uh, which, and free to try to try again. Pull, come try to pull more people out. Yeah, which unfortunately means Lawrence Fishburne is in hell. Um, ah. Yeah. <laughs> However, if we look at it from that angle, that means the warp drive could technically always come back. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Is uh, we could we could have totally get another. And event even horizon. if it never did, like if it completely separates, and that means the whole thing's defunct, the technology still exists. Right. Like them destroying the ship means nothing. Exactly. Because you can do this, and if you can create the black hole point from anywhere that you want. And this story is not going to be believed. Oh, yeah. Like, no, nobody's yeah. going to believe the three survivors of this ship. They, they're going to think they're crazy. Yeah, like Justin's the only one who saw the Hell Dimension, and it's Survived. unclear if, like, what his survival did to him. Right. So you could even pick up with the characters if you wanted to and start the series over from there. Mm-hmm. Or you could do a retelling of the movie, flesh it out, I'm hoping that's what they do with the series. It, I mean, it doesn't even have to be more than like four or five episodes, really. Yeah, like I was saying, you could even do a six-episode thing, and it'd yeah. be fine. You'd have two to set it up, two to get there, and then two to finish it up. Right. And it, but you would be able to do it justice in in the full spectrum of the thing. Yeah, and then you could basically have it to where, like, okay, well, what if they tried to experiment with using the warp core on just people by themselves? On Earth, you know you that's very up. Philadelphia experiment esque. That's true. Um, like, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of different avenues the show can take. Like, the Event Horizons ass end could come back. Exactly. Um, you know the characters. well, wait, in the ass end, that wasn't that the no, that was the jump drive. The yeah. front end was the boat, the lifeboat. Right. Okay. And, and they do get rescued at the end, although, uh, of course, what was it Stark has a hallucination that the person who gets her out of her cryopod is Sam Neill. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, um, but then. Even when they're like, get this lady a sedative, you know, whenever she snaps out of it and Cooper's there to comfort her and the rescue crew's there, the doors close very ominously. Oh, yeah. You Um, know. like last scare. Yeah, like, 
if something was possessing the ship, did it possess the whole ship? Did it you just know, the drive, the warp drive? Yeah, uh, or maybe you know it's part of the. Magic. I'd like to think it's all the the the. the it's the haunted house effect. I'd yeah. like to think that just because they're in the front end doesn't mean they're out. They're still there. Yeah, it's you know. still there. Because um, I mean, even if you could get like Lawrence Fishburne back for the series, who all of a sudden, awesome. who's just like, by the way. The SN came back and somehow he's there and he managed to escape hell. Oh, that'd be awesome. Like, you know, it's just even the retelling of it from an actor like Lawrence Fishburne could be amazing. Right. Because Lawrence Fishburne is amazing. Because you don't have to see it. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you ever watched The Leftovers on HBO. No, it's the, that's the, uh, the Rapture yeah. movie show, yeah. isn't it? The like, final episode, um, Carrie Coons? I think her character... Is that the one that had Liv Tyler in it? Yeah. Okay, I know she's And uh, oddly enough that Carrie, who I just mentioned, she played Proxima Midnight in... Um, oh, yeah, in yeah. Uh, Solo. In uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Oh, no, 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 yeah, that's sorry. right. Proxima. Yeah. So, I'm thinking... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah no, Solo, the, the, there was a Proxima something in the very yeah. beginning. So she, um, she has this explanation of what happened to her character when she experienced a rapture-like effect. Mm-hmm. To kind of, I guess, like reverse the process or something. And it's told. You never get to see it. You never get to experience it. But it's incredibly powerful because she's a damn good actress. Yeah. You know, like, so, yeah. Hell, you know, Lawrence Fishburne comes back. Um, I mean, you could easily have that being another kickoff Absolutely. point. Like, Lawrence Fishburne does really well with roles like that. I mean... Morpheus. Oh, yeah. Hell world, you know, desolate. Uh, and then you've, you, even as the, what do they call him? Is it the Rat King or the Pigeon, pigeon uh, King? The Bowery King. And John the Bowery Wick. King yep. and John Wick. John Wick. By the way, I heard a great fan theory about John Wick is that John Wick is just Neo plugged back into the Matrix. You see, I like the other one that I've been hearing, whereas it's the alternate dimension where Ted had to go to military school. Oh, that's funny. And I was just like, oh, that would be amazing. That would be hilarious. I Yeah, but like that, uh, and that's why Morpheus is there too. Like exactly, his, yeah. You know, it, so it's still kind of him fighting the revolution, I guess. Oh, they did him so dirty in, in the third one. They really that's did. That's another, that we're, we might have to do it just an episode on the John Wick movies. Well, yeah, that, I think it's hilarious that the fourth John Wick movie is scheduled for release the same day as the fourth, fourth Matrix, Matrix movie. Fourth Matrix movie. That's a dick move. Keanu Reeves, he looks to stand to make millions of dollars in one weekend alone. Right, like Keanu Reeves is dominating that weekend at the box office. Right. The only thing that can make it better was if they were to drop Bill and Ted the same time. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, but that's coming out this year. Yeah. So, Whereas I think those two are coming out, what, first half of next year? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess going back to Event Horizon, though, like, my curiosity is definitely peaked for a series. Yeah, mine too. I told my dad, my dad's face, like, lit up. Yeah. Like, like dad, they're thinking about doing an Event Horizon series, and he was like, no shit. I'm like, no shit. Like, you're, I mean, it has so much potential. It does. It has a lot of potential. If they could get the people to do it and do it right, I mean, mm. shit. I mean, I know Jordan Peele said he'd never cast a white actor as a lead, which is shitty of him. But if they could even get, like, Jordan I, Peele to produce it. I say, honestly, yes. I That one doesn't bother me as much just because, you know, 
honestly, we're we're still playing catch up in terms of diversity casting. True, but I mean to to shut the door on talent like that. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that's just kind of bad. That just kind of gives bad vibes. I mean, talent is talent. Yeah. I mean, although we're not looking at. I gotta say though, like the fact that well, granted, Get Out, you had to cast a you know a, a black guy as the lead. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya was an absolutely amazing. Find. Oh yeah. Like yeah, like I'd, I'd watch that dude just about anything, honestly. After I mean, after the performance he gave in Get Out, hell yeah. Well, I mean, like Chadwick Boseman. Yep, he would be amazing. Or um, uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Yes, exactly. I'd cast, I'd cast that dude in everything. He'd be the shark in Jaws. Oh yeah, <laughs> shark in Jaws. Yep. Remake of Jaws. Um, what was it? There's a with Chadwick Boseman. And here, here's just kind of an example of, like, you kind of take your roles where you can get them. Mm-hmm. Chadwick Boseman is in that god-awful uh, Gods of Egypt movie. That's right. He's thought. Oh. And it is awful. But you go, hey, look, Black Panther. <laughs> right. Yeah, you do now. Like, I'm pretty sure he looked at it as just like, wow, my career died. <laughs> right. Like, that movie's so bad. But then, you know, you always go back and you find that one movie in an like, oh, maybe I could forget this. Like Jennifer Aniston in one of the Leprechaun movies. Oh, no. You can't forget Jennifer Aniston in or Leprechaun. Matthew McConaughey in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, that was amazing. Four? Three. Three? Three okay. or four. Yeah. Uh, so they all have that. Vince, Vincent D'Onofrio in a trauma movie. Uh, uh, yes. What was that? Uh, samurai Detective, maybe? <laughs> um, oh. But yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio in a trauma movie. Come on. I mean, hell, even newer actors still have their shit. Like, what was it, Amelia Clark, for instance, Jurassic Quest or something? Something like that. Like that. Yeah, it was Amelia the, Clark, the hotness. God. Yeah, I mean, they all have those that they definitely want you to forget about. Yeah, um, I mean, but I mean, look at the Event Horizon cast: Morpheus. Yeah. You got uh, Jason Isaacs, Doctor Grant, Sam Neill. There you go. Yeah. Uh, uh, Julie Richardson was, I mean, she's still, right. She's still kicking around. Uh, Sean like, Petrie. I, I haven't seen her Petrie, in anything Petrie. since Nip Tuck though, from what I can't like. And, and see, I, I never watched Nip Tuck. I just know the people that were on uh, it. She was great in that show. Um, yeah. I don't know. Actually, just that, did, the plastic surgery thing, I didn't care. So yeah, I didn't watch it. It was a lot darker. I knew it was a dark series. Really dark. I mean, but when you get into the world of that, yeah, it, it kind of could be dark. So, yeah, I mean, the cast was absolutely top-notch. I mean, uh, Sean Pertwee is, Pertwee. Um, well, he was, sorry, was Alfred in Gotham. Right. Like, he um, was a good Alfred, actually. I really liked him in, in that. Um, you definitely got the kind of feel that he was like. He was a lot more hard-assed. Kind of like the, the, the uh, vet, like a war vet. Yeah. You oh, kind of yeah. got that feeling. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Morpheus. Sam Neill, I mean, I, I hate to admit how many times I've seen Merlin, but, <laughs> but I've watched that. The second one, not so much, but the first one, I've watched it several times. I really liked the Merlin miniseries or whatever they called it, extra long movie. Yeah, um, actually that was, I, I did watch that too. Angelica Houston in that, something like that. God, it's been so long since I watched it. Oh, but. yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute since I've seen it. And Sam Neill really needs to come back. 
Yeah. Well, he has not really done much. The last time I saw him that I can remember was Thor 3. Ragnarok. Yes, Ragnarok, yeah. where he uh, he was playing Odin. Yeah, he gets like he a was, cameo. <laughs> you're right, just uh, him and Matt Damon. Yep. And, uh, and, and oddly enough, the, the Chris older, Hemsworth's other brother. Yeah, the older Hemsworth. Right, the one that nobody talks about. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Yeah, honestly, that's it. He'll be in Jurassic World 3. Which we need to do an episode on because hmm. you have things to say about the new Jurassic movies. Damn, I, I really do. I, you know what? That that'll be a topic for another day. And that's what I'm saying. We'll have to we'll have to do that. Apparently, his latest credit was Rick and Morty. What really? Yes, uh, his last credit was, uh, Mono Gratron Leader. Okay. I see. That if was it's Sam Neill's latest credit. If it's in season four, I haven't seen it, and I need uh, to. Real bad. Let's see. I can't. I couldn't. It, I was hoping it would bring it up, but it didn't. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see him again in Jurassic World 3 with Jeff Goldblum being extremely Jeff Goldblum-y. Jurassic World Domination. That's what it's called? Yep, Jurassic World Domination, and he will be Alan Grant. It'd be interesting because we saw a very aged Malcolm yeah. in the last one. Oh, yeah. Uh, just the little courtroom, whatever the hell was going on in there. That last one was very that confusing. That last one, well. The first one I liked. Well, Jurassic World I liked. Yeah. Well, we'll jump into that one definitely at a later time. Oh, yeah. We'll have to make a list. Those movies should end with Ian Malcolm just in a straight jacket. Like, no one listens when I say life finds a way. And just like <laughs> right, rocking exactly. back and forth. Like, you know, just like, because they would drive me up the fucking wall, too. Oh, my God. It's, I'm just looking at the new Jurassic World lineup, and it, everybody. Ex- I mean. It's an expensive cast. Everybody. Like, B.D. Wong, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Well, I guess Omar Sy. I was wondering if B.D. Wong's character died at the end of. Uh, Jurassic World I, I knew he didn't. I figured not. He was one of the only carryovers from the original. Well, he's pretty much the villain in these. Kind of, yeah. yeah so. He's definitely... Well, he, well, he's got that scummy... Yeah. That scummy businessman, science guy feel to him now. As in the first one, you kind of... The first ones, you kind of felt like... Which he's another one of those actors who gets... Very underrated. Very underrated. Although, like, he, I could just remember, was he the... Uh, was he the medical examiner? No, he was the, the therapist in the special victims unit. Yeah, and actually, I think he was Hugo Strange in Gotham. Was he really? Yeah, which actually a really good casting choice for that. And again, I didn't like Gotham because you had all of Batman's villains, no Batman. So yeah, right. I, I could definitely see It was that. definitely Garfield sans Garfield. I don't know if you've read any of those. Oh, I do. I love where it those. just makes look, John look sad and lonely. I mean, he is, but... He's very sad and lonely, It just makes John look like John. Yeah, it's like, he's just, it's just awful. Um, and psychotic. But uh, we're way off topic. Uh, yeah. I guess we can wrap this up, because, I mean, we've yeah. kind of hit the end of it. I mean, we, the... They blew it up. There's yeah. a lifeboat. They get saved. Yeah, I don't know if Lawrence Fishburne's dead or in hell at the end of it. They One can really, hope I, like, <laughs> that he's dead not in, not in hell. Exactly. Like, that's the last thing. Like, after showing what happened to everybody in those brief flashes, you're like, no one should have to go through that. And I'm hoping that's the case for, you know, that character particularly. Right. Um, or, or just any of them in general. Like, 
And we might have to like revisit this because, like I said, my dad wants to guest on this. Yeah, he wanted to guest on this so bad, and because uh, he has lots of things to say about Event Horizon, because he's one of those fans of it. He loves uh-huh. it, and um, it would have probably have been better. But like I said, but we didn't watch it. I didn't get a chance to watch it. Uh, damn, Breath of the Wild. Um, <laughs> I'm still having fun. I'm having a blast playing it. But mm. uh, yeah, I, it's one of those moments where I should have reined myself back and been like, look, I've got stuff I've got to do for the podcast, and, and I played Breath of the Wild instead. So <laughs> We could just do an entire podcast on Zelda, though. Oh, God, I mean, that goes back. I mean, Breath of the Wild, which you haven't gotten through it yet. so I'm I've actually just that. got the little paraglider thing. Okay. So yeah. I'm, like, way in the beginning. Yeah, so <clears> I am... I've finished it. I did everything. And I kind I'm, of, to a certain degree, that game is one of those that kind of made me regret doing everything. It takes a long time. Yeah. Um, well, not all of it's worth it. But it, there's always that case. But, you know, but, um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up here then and we'll come back at we'll you. We'll definitely soon. have to revisit this because I feel like I just fumbled through it. But we'll, and like I said, my dad really wants to guest on this. So we'll definitely yeah. have to do like a part two or a continuation um, later on. Because I'd like to hear what my dad has to say about it. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, I mean, a super fan like that. Because like I said, I've known of the movie. But the last time I remember watching it before today was when I was like 10. And back then I couldn't explain it. I had no idea what the hell I was looking at. Right. I mean, it's like a lot of movies I stumbled onto. Into periodically. I've been periodically watching it my whole, well, since it came out. So Yeah, I mean, like, my formative, like, early development years were spent with me, like, watching HBO, probably when I shouldn't have been. Yeah, Andrew Dice Clay on oh, HBO I, yeah, a lot. <laughs> how, how much I did not understand of Andrew Dice Clay and George Carlin stand-up specials. Until you get so, older, you're like, oh, yeah. shit, maybe I shouldn't have watched that. yeah. Like, I, I'm sure there's probably a few therapy bills that I could definitely... Send. Chalk up to just their comedy? Chalk up to their comedy or just shit that I saw that I shouldn't have and didn't understand at the time. You know, especially like uh, taxi cab conventions? However, to be fair, those <laughs> movies that they play that are usually like, oh, look, there's an American ninja for some reason is being attacked <laughs> by <laughs> random-ass ninjas in the middle of downtown L.A., <laughs> I'll never understand. I forgot all about the American and, Ninja yeah. movies. And whenever you're, whenever you are running like a hundred and two fever, and that's what you see, you also you're not gonna understand shit at oh, that no. point. I still don't understand it. I'm yeah, I still to this day can't understand what uh, uh, one why an American knows ninjutsu. Yeah, and uh, two, what all these damn ninjas are doing in L.A. So yeah. So, I mean, that was my first experience with Event Horizon, though. It's like, like, I don't know what I'm watching. I don't understand this. I know, and like, I'm going to church, so I understand the idea of hell. Right. But they, they never really come out directly and say it. No, it's very hinted at. It's yeah. very, it's so, one of those things where it's like Spielberg said, less is more. Yeah. So it makes you think about it even harder because mm-hmm. they don't ever just say it. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I spend so much time, like, today just appreciating the fact that they built the atmosphere and then lamenting the fact that it had to, so much of it had to get cut. Yeah. Like, it was almost depressing to watch something that could have been, and this is why it has the cult following. It's so depressing to watch something that could have been that great. Get Um, tainted by the studio. 
get tainted by the studio and stumble at the finish line. Right. Because it, like, like we've been saying, we've been hashing this out for, I don't even know how long we're at. Yeah, yeah, we're at an hour 20. Hour 20. So for about an hour and 20 minutes, we've been describing how great the first half of the movie is. Yeah. And then how rushed the second half of the movie feels. Well, yeah. It's, I mean, quite literally, it's like that last 30 minutes, you're just like, okay, what? Yeah, like, right. What? Wait, how did we, where? Okay, like if, he's red now. Oh, what? What yeah. the hell? If wait, you, where does that, he got eyes again. How, wait, uh, yeah. And then you kind of do that throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. Until they're saved. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's some of those that just kind of, it's another one of those great movies that hit those development snags. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's the sad thing is when you see that happen. It, whenever you see the potential that was there, you don't know what the finished product would have come out as, but you know that 40 minutes on the cutting room floor, even with even Paul Anderson admits that was too long the first time, but cutting 20 minutes. Yeah, maybe just of, 20 minutes. Yeah. Maybe like, reeling back some of the gore, maybe adding some more gore. Oh, yeah. You know, just I, give us, and I really need to see what the extended cut runs. Yeah. Because I know they added stuff to the extended cut, and I need to find it again. You know what the sad part is about that? Like, usually I'm not the kind of person to be like, oh, yeah, more gore in a movie would help it. it it's very rare that happens because a lot of times people just use it for, well, I mean, shock honestly, value. a shock value and a crutch. Yeah. It's a crutch. Um, <laughs> but when done correctly and done yeah. the right way, I mean, when you do it like artistically, you, I guess. Yeah, when you have like a horrifying concept like that, especially in a term of a high body count because the crew had to have been in the dozens. Right, that was a big ship. Yeah, so, I mean, it makes sense that you would have, you know, uh, more gore, at least in that aspect. And granted, I, you know, a few more explicit shots here and there would drive home the point of, like, you know, this ship not only does something to people, there's something inherently evil about what came back. Right. Yeah, right. and it's, if it's the concept of hell, it needs to be as terrifying as you can make it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it's very Hieronymus Bosch. It's very Dante's Inferno. Yes. Um, it's very visceral. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, they don't ever say it. No. Which is also kind of Lovecraftian in a way. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, at least in Lovecraft stories, you rarely ever see, like, you get a description sometimes of what a character sees, but sometimes a character sees something and they don't fucking talk about it. Right. It's just the horror of what they saw shattered their mind, and you have to deal with the fact that something was so awful that... It, it broke this person. Yeah, like, yeah, it completely ruined somebody. So it's almost like I don't want to read it. I don't want to describe. I don't want to see it, hear it described because it's like, you know, it makes it that much more palpable. Like it's right. that much scarier. That, like, that's that less is more. Your imagination can run wild when you don't know exactly what you're thinking of. You know what yeah. they're talking or what they're what you're seeing. Yeah, like it. It kind of reminds me of it's the, the monster under the bed. The monster under the bed in your mind is way worse than what the monster might actually be. Oh yeah. And at that point, yeah, it, it's that's what it becomes. And I, the movie, this movie didn't even get the chance to try and engage in less is more because then it turns into action for the last half hour. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're having the hallucinations. They give you a brief like, oh, the ship's alive. 
You know, right, like, yeah. yeah like, you don't really get into that. And at the very end, you get that, oh, this play, this thing went to a whole other dimension and everything is chaos, evil. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I'll show you what's going to happen to your crew. You know, and you get those brief flashes oh, of yeah. the torture and everything. But They kind of did the, with that. As, have you seen, you've seen Dogma. Oh, yeah. All right, there was a whole scene where Azriel, Jason Lee's character, mm-hmm. is supposed to show the main character hell. What he doesn't want to go back to, he's like not existing is better than going back to that. Yeah, I absolutely and they cut that. I love that scene too. Like it's that whole not existing would be better. Like it because he says something to the effect of, "Have you if, ever been to hell?" Well, yeah, he's just like, and it was because it was the absence of God. He's like, if you've ever known what it's been like to walk in His presence, then you know that you know nothing is so much worse. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and he's like in hell. Not existing is better than that. Yeah, and then going back to that because that's the whole evil is an abstract thing. That's what he goes up with. It's just like hell was made worse by you. Yeah, like humans came down needed to be punished for what they'd done. It was their request, you know, kind of thing, and they made it so much worse than what it actually was. Like you know, it's painful enough to not be in God's existence, but then you have a place where we're we're already suffering. From the absence of God, now you added your own misery into it and made it that much worse. Yeah. That's another episode idea we need to come, we uh, we could do would be Lucifer, yeah, the series because what that what we're talking about here in the show the whole premise is hell's so bad Lucifer don't even want to be there so he comes to <laughs> heaven or comes to heaven from heaven he comes up to L.A. and becomes a nightclub owner. So, I mean, he hates hell that much that he's just like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going up there. (laughs) That's... (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, like, and even the flashes you get in Event Horizon make it look like a place nobody would want to go to. Right. Like, I mean, so it it definitely hits its mark there, but it's, you know, if you pause it frame by frame to get what you're really getting out of it. Um, and I know I have. I've, I've paused it for yeah. my friend. I can remember the scenes that he shows him. Yeah. Um, and But that's pretty much all I can remember in the movie. I can remember all the visceral stuff. I just can't remember much else. Yeah, and and the way this movie shaped pop culture afterward, oh, exactly. purely by accident. Well, you got um, Dead Space. I was going to say Dead Space is probably the biggest homage, and it's... It's, I mean, it's ripping off a few things. It's ripping off Alien. It's ripping off... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. those classic space sci-fi horror tropes. But it, it definitely pulls from Event Horizon a yeah, lot. Yeah, because in this case, you're not worried about a warp drive that brought something back with it. It's a marker. Yeah. It's still something that sits there. It's something you can wrap it's your a head MacGuffin. around. Yeah. Like, I mean, that warp core was pretty much it. A MacGuffin. Yeah. So you have that... Um, and that's what's causing everything. It's warping people. It's making them go fucking insane because they're hearing voices now in their head. They're seeing hallucinations. And yeah, that's quite literally, it's Event Horizon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. So. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by, because I, I was telling my wife the other day, I remember being in kindergarten. And I can't tell you the name of the song or what it was about or, like, or how it goes or anything. I remember what it was about. But I remember it was about a dancing skeleton dancing around a grave. Oh. It was a little children's song, but I remember when I heard it, I felt like, okay, this is supposed to be scary because it's a skeleton. Why do I like it? 
you know, and I kind of knew from that point on that I was interested in like the darker aspects of things. Mm. So like, I'm, I'm very fascinated with the deep thoughts and, and, you know, the punishments and the, the hell visuals and stuff like that. Uh, the aesthetic of it just mm. kind of fascinates me even, um, and I think the coolest thing about Event Horizon was it was sci-fi hell. Exactly. Like, you got the paranormal yeah. and science together. It, yeah, because it's not a lake of fire. It is. A it's not black the, yeah, it's dimension not the Christian kind of definition. It looks almost steampunky or kind gothic. Of. Very gothic. I say, yeah, gothic, not quite steampunky. Uh, uh, certain parts of the ship kind of look a little steampunk. but Very kind of, if you took the Cenobites... And turned them into a spaceship. Yeah, actually, that's probably the best you know, way to put it. If you, yeah, if you took the Cenobites, if you took all of them, the Chatterer, Pinhead, all of them, mm. and turned them into a spaceship, that's kind of what we got with this. Yeah, so, I mean, it absolutely can work. I mean, bring the series out, see absolutely. where you can take it. I mean, get some amazing writers on it who really will just let their... I don't horrific. think Disney will let go of John Favreau yeah. right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, as you say, let somebody who can let their horrific inner demons, like, shine onto the page. Right. Because, uh, hell, that, who would even be good for that? I mean, honestly, I I don't really know. Um, please not Eli Roth. Like, he know. does he does horror. He can direct, don't get me wrong. But, like, as far as the writing goes, I don't know. Because he did that Green Inferno. Yeah. No, I mean, he knows how to do that. Like, he can definitely do... I mean, he did Hostel. He can do the torture porn aspects of it. Oh, yeah. Um, they want him for actually a Borderlands movie. They've hired him to write and direct a Borderlands movie. I'm surprised they wouldn't go after George Miller just because of Mad Max, but, I mean, because it was clearly Mad Max in space. Um, uh, I love that game. Though. Oh, so do I. I'm such a big Borderlands player. It's one but, of my favorite games. But I can't think of, because Guillermo del Toro's not big on gore. True. I mean, he could do it. Guy can do just about anything. He did Mimic. He did do Blade 2. He did do Blade 2. Still yeah. my favorite Blade. Yeah. Um, God. I'm trying to think of... I mean, honestly, Jordan Peele. The dude knows horror, and he knows how to build a scene with a lot of incredible foreshadowing imagery everything like watching get out like i had to watch that movie two or three times because the way he packs everything in he could easily do that and with the hellscape that you could let him have yeah he could easily and then lawrence fishburne was not the main character but one of them uh maybe that'll fit in with his not hiring a white lead uh yeah i mean which, again, I think is dumb because you're closing the door on talent like that when you do that, you know? Yeah, legitimately. I'm more about the they, talent. If they're, they're talented, cast them. Yeah. If they fit for what you need and they can do it, cast them. I don't yeah. see the color. I see the talent. Right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of who else, like... Shit, I don't know. As long as it's not Terrence Howard. It's funny because I'm. <laughs> I say I'm thinking of. Uh, I'm just trying to think of horror directors, but that might not be the way to go. Mm. I don't know. 
You need something like a Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Not not Ridley Scott. Ridley but Scott someone is like him. good. The only problem is he tends to have a he lot of He was good in the 70s. He in has the 80s. A, he has a lot of movies that drag on too long and kind of stagnate in the middle. Yeah. Uh I mean anybody who's ever seen Prometheus. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, um, but we need somebody like Ridley Scott, Steven Spielberg, and Jordan Peele, but as like one person. I mean, if Kubrick was still alive. Mm, see, Kubrick goes too weird with his stuff. Yeah, I think that could be a benefit in something like this, though. I don't know, because they always did say back in the day, sci-fi was supposed to make you think. Yeah, and he did 2001. Yeah. I mean... And then he did, I mean, he also did The Shining. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you kind of had both best of both worlds there. So, right. I guess Kubrick might have worked, but it would have been, I mean, have you ever seen Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah. That's you know, he two handed, hours of my life I can't get back. He handed in that cut like a day before he died. Did he really? Yeah, he died within like a week after he handed in the final cut of that movie. Uh, that's sad. Because that was his final movie. And that movie's awful. I had definitely struggled <laughs> through it myself. That uh, was in that, that weird time where Tom Cruise was trying to do weird movies, course, and it was just Yeah, that awful. also that also came out when I was in junior high, and that was another one of those that I didn't understand. I just remember going, is that Nicole Kidman naked? Yeah, like I think I was in like sixth grade, and I can remember once again. Did she just again, take a shit with him brushing his teeth? That's weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm kind of sitting there. I just didn't get it. And No, I didn't either. I haven't rewatched it since, though. Like, it's like in, not like Vanilla Sky. I yeah, like I was in sixth grade. I, I just can't do it. I watched Vanilla Sky when it first came out, too. Why did my parents let me... Watch these awful movies? I don't know. I watched them, too. Like, I watched Magnolia with my parents in the room, and I can't... I don't... I didn't understand that fucking movie, either. I haven't watched it since. I didn't, either. It's Yeah, Magnolia is awful. I realized I've seen a lot of movies before I was, like, the age of 10 that I really had no business That was watching. that P.T. P. Anderson did Magnolia, right? Yes. He did the Boogie Nights and Punch yep. Drug Love, which is, I yeah, say this yep. all the time, the number one worst movie I've ever seen in my life. You know, funny thing, Boogie Nights, another one of those movies that I saw, once again, way too young. I saw it. I saw it real young. Didn't it come out in the 90s? Because oh, yeah. It's, I, it's what made Mark Wahlberg's career. Yeah, I wasn't even in double digits yet, so, well, that was my, and, like, you know, once again, having HBO in your household is both a gift and a curse right. whenever you have young kids. Especially before the age of parental, like, you know. Parental locks and stuff. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I I definitely caught, like, that That was actually, God, now I think about it, my introduction into knowing that porn existed was because of that fucking movie. Well, I mean, I knew porn existed just because of HBO, but. Yeah. You know, they had the skin flicks. Not oh, quite yeah. full porn, but it's right. the doorway to it, so. But ah, thanks, Dad. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll be sending the therapy bills to your guys' address. Um, well, I mean, that was. Uh, I think we should probably wrap because I think we're just oh, yeah. just kind of we're just riffing now. Riffing now, and uh, we're way off topic. We, talk, we sometimes I mean, swing back to Event Horizon. Yeah, you know, maybe it. they should get this guy to write it, this guy to direct it. But hey, what about these movies? Yeah, so I think we're just kind of on a tangent now. Yeah. But uh, that was our event horizon. Um, we will definitely revisit this because I feel like 
there's so much more to this that we can get. Maybe when, uh, like, they do start doing a series. Yeah, if they actually announce some plot details, things like that, we can actually Maybe rally we can around pop it. back in and then have my dad guest and and because, uh, like I said, he's got words to say about Vin Horizon. Um, but yeah, but, I, and, yeah, this is probably a good place to end on a few tangents and other things. Um, Basically, just listen to two nerds talk. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the premise of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's right, right in the name, right? Right, right in the nerds. Yeah. So, um, I am Kegger. Yep. Uh, and I'm Cody, the ginger. And uh, thanks for listening, if you're listening. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Uh, please, we're on Podbean. Yeah. Uh, rate, review, comment. If we did a good job, if we did a bad job, if you just want to say, hey, you guys are nerds and shut up. That's fine, too. Uh, we'll take any kind of feedback at this point. Um, yeah. But uh, like I said, uh, Eli King on Facebook, if you had questions and, and stuff that you need to get a hold of me. Uh, yeah, Cody Toothman. Uh, yeah, send some requests if you got some good topics. And this one was kind of a request episode. Yeah. So, so and yeah. we thought it was a good idea. And reliving a really nice 90s cult classic is... It's always fun. Yeah, actually, I really enjoyed watching it today. Uh, the company I was with did not, but <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was it was funny. I mean, I, there's certain parts of it that, well, that, I mean, yeah, you heard. It's a, it's a good squeeze movie. You know, you watch it with a female, and, and they can grab onto you, and it's, it's always fun. Or just good to listen, you know, to that person also just be like, what the fuck is this? Like What's you just wrong have with the, these people? Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't like it. You know, like, I, I get it. I See, the thing is, I can understand why some people wouldn't like it. I can understand why it's a cult classic. Right, exactly. Which actually is what makes it fun. All right, guys. Well, you guys have a good night.